Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me, we have a reoccurring guest. If you want to introduce yourself, tell us who you are. Yeah, my name is Philip J. Woodward, and uh, this is my second episode. My second yeah. time being here. I'm so excited. No, uh, we're so happy to have you back. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's really cool. My second episode, I get to do with Freddie. Yes. Yeah, and then your third episode is also going to be with David. It's one-on-one on each one of us. Yes! <laughs> Actually, it's probably going to be with me again. But that's, that's okay. okay. <laughs> uh, and I was just on your podcast yesterday, so this is kind of a awesome weekend of like content making. So we're really, really happy to have you on the show and be here with us. So thank you again for being on here. Oh, thank you for having me. This, this is one of my most anticipated things of the week. So <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And um, if anyone wants to know, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. And if you like what you want, uh, what you, sorry, if you like what you hear and want extra horror related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. And, of course, before we get the show started, you could probably recognize already that this show is a little bit different. Prince is not opening the show. I am. So I will be taking over for a few episodes while Prince is away. He's working on some awesome stuff. He's working with like a distributor for a film on a special project. So I won't mention too much, but stay tuned for that. Uh, David's out sick, so I do hope he does feel better. And essentially, We love you, David. Yeah, we love you, David. David, I miss you so much. I haven't seen your face in a while. And I, I'm going to give you a virtual hug because we love you. Uh, but we are starting a new month. And this month is called There's Something in the House. And this is something I'm really, really excited about because we're starting it off with an absolute banger. And for the month of October as well, we do have one of our ghoulish knights, Taylor, over on our Twitter that's going to be taking over and doing some of her favorite films and sharing it with all of you guys as well. Uh, the last little bit of notes is the Midnight Hour show, our Patreon show, is going to be on a pause for now during the hiatus of Prince being away, but we will restart that soon. But let's get into the great episode that we're about to have, talking about one of my favorite movies, a great horror film, Insidious. So first and foremost, thoughts. I actually really like this movie. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I think the concepts are really cool. The astral projection, uh, some of the gags within the movie are so much fun. Uh, I don't want to talk about them yet because we're going to get to them as we get to those parts of the film. Uh, But yeah, I love what James Wan did with this movie. I have to agree. James Wan is a very interesting director. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday on your podcast that he's created a lot of different franchises, starting with like Saw, then Insidious, then the Conjuring series. And he knows horror. And I believe this movie is one of his best. I think this movie has very good genuine scares where it gets deep under your skin. There's not a movie where I ever felt so unsettled than like this movie and maybe the Conjuring as well, where he just knows how to 
do effective jump scares. And he's really good with camera angles too and having the camera move around the room as the viewer looking at stuff that the actual like actors in the scene won't look at too. And I really appreciate that. He's a really good filmmaker. He knows how to move that camera around and create that suspense. Yeah, there's so many cool sequences where uh, if depending on what's happening in the movie, the camera will literally move differently. Like if it's more ethereal, yeah. the camera will have almost a floatiness to it. If it's like someone's watching the character, it's more handheld. But then he also has these great sweeping pans and stuff through the house. And I'm also am really um, wowed by the fact that there's so much practical effects in this movie. Yes, I think. I'm a big fan of practical effects, and there is some use of CGI in this movie, especially towards the end, where you can kind of see it, and it's kind of aged, so some stuff doesn't hold too well together, but at the same time, it's still effective, and I, I think he does a really good job with like creating scary images and being able to like scare not only the actors within the movie, but us as the viewer being along with the ride, which is great. Um, but yeah, let's get this started. Uh, so we're covering Insidious, directed by James Wan. It was released on April 1st, 2011. It's not an April Fool's joke. has a <laughs> runtime of 1 hour 42, a budget of only $1.5 million, with a box office of $99.5 million, and has a rating of 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's insane. Gosh, that's incredible. What a great return. <laughs> yeah, 1.5 million and you get almost 100 million. You would not by today's standards I feel like you would never know. You would yeah. never know. When you look at a movie and you see that the budget was 40 million, 60 million, uh I feel like this movie looks better than some of those. 100%. I 100% agree with that. And it's one of those things where like reading the fun facts that we're going to go through in the end, I was like, "Damn, you guys did a great job in a short amount of time." But we'll get into that too. But uh, yeah, let's go into the opening scene. So we open to a lamp as the camera turns head to be over a sleeping child, moving across the room to a woman standing behind a stand, uh, stained glass window, eventually moving toward her standing in the darkness, only lit by a red candle with a veil over her face. The title shot as those strings play wild and, uh, and craziness. <laughs> now, that's one big thing, too. I love the score of this movie. This yeah. core is insane. It's I very also, loud and in your face. I also like what's going on with the credits here. Uh, you'll notice that they're like a hard credit and then an, an astral version of the credits kind of evaporates off of yes. them. Yeah, the opening sequence is really cool where it just shows like creepy imagery and then like the, the, yeah, the cast members and they kind of dissipate into fog and mist. It's very creepy. It's a really good effective way to open up a movie to say like, hey, this is a scary movie, and you're going to realize that. And this yep. is the sudden the tone factor of the whole entire movie. But yeah, fade to uh, Renee being woken up by her husband, Josh snoring as he lays next to her. She irritatedly sits up in the bed, <laughs> looking over at him before getting up. She quietly walks downstairs as the grandfather clock ticks. And uh, she goes into the half-finished living room, grabbing some books to begin putting them away. She finds her photo album sitting down on the floor to look at them. Her son, Dalton, calls her as she stands as he stands behind her. She calls him over to sit next to her as he shares that he doesn't like his room. <laughs> um, I was like, all right, cool, you know, new house, you know, gotta get a feel to it. Yeah, there's um, new sounds, new experiences. Right. 
uh, I just moved to a new place only a month ago, and I'm still getting used to it. So I can totally understand what he says. Uh, she blames it on him still getting used to it, as we said, also not being able to see. He asks about what she's looking at. She goes through all of the old photos with him, pointing out a picture of herself as someone who was younger. They have a cute little moment about her age until he asks to see a photo of his dad, but they don't have any of him. Dalton wants to see a photo of him as a little kid. She rebuttals that he is wonderful. He was a wonderful little kid as his little sister Callie begins crying upstairs. Cut to Renee and her kids and her kids are messing around in the kitchen as she cooks. Is the phone trying to reach a billing department? Foster uh, Foster requests a bowl and she rummages around for one, handing it to him despite his dissatisfaction. She continues trying to get in touch with an agent on the phone as Callie is crying in the background. Meanwhile, Josh is in the bathroom brushing his teeth, finding it gray hair. Old age. <laughs> That's the real killer right here. That's the real insidious thing. <laughs> Growing up. That deadly gray hair. He yanks it out before heading downstairs. He greets his family as his wife continues yelling in the phone. He jokes that he's that he's an agent as she finishes trying his uh, tying his tie. She finally gets in touch with someone. Josh tells Foster to not eat on the floor. He rebuttals that he's pouring his uh, cereal and then proceeds to eat it off the ground. <laughs> of course, I kids love all of kids. these little moments. All all these little moments set up such a great fi- family dynamic and gives you so much exposition that this is like a nice, happy family. These, yes. you know, there's definitely things going on that uh, everyone has to deal with hardships, like her being on the phone with the billing department and stuff like that. But it's showing you that they have a good family dynamic. Right. It's a little bit of the chaos of like, Oh, he's finding a gray hair. She's yelling on the phone, trying to get to reach someone on customer service wise. Yep. They came and find a bowl. They have to use like a mug for cereal. Yeah. It's just like, it, it's chaos, but it's, at the same time, it is just like normality of what families go through. Not yeah, and it's all very cute. It's all just touch. Exactly. Yeah, Genuine's a great word for it. It's and I love all the actors in this movie. I feel like they play off each other very, very well. Dude, the kids are are great. Yeah, I think they're, they're some of the best parts in this movie. But yeah, uh, Renee gets off the phone, demanding him to get off the ground as she goes into the living room to grab some more things. The books that she put on the shelf are now on the floor. She goes back into the kitchen, letting Dalton know to put her books back on the shelf when he's done looking at them. He claims that he didn't touch her books. Uh, Josh kisses his children goodbye while Renee's questioning him not being able to take the boys to school and pick them up. He excuses that he has a PTA meeting that he forgot about. Apologizing to her, he kisses her and leaves. Later that morning, Renee's writing some sheet music while playing on the piano. Stopping while she hears Callie crying on the baby monitor, she goes to check on her, soothing her until she stops crying. She hears a creak coming from the other room, placing her daughter back down to go check it out. Believing that the sound is coming from the attic, she goes up there to check. I hate moments like this. It's like it's one of those things where like as a viewer, you're like, don't go up there. Like, what what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? You're yelling at the screen, but at the same time, this movie starts being spooky almost immediately. This movie doesn't give you a lot of breathing room, which I really like. Yeah, we're still in the very, very beginning, and we've already had mysterious books on the floor and now creaking in the attic. And for me, you know, obviously we know that this is a spooky movie, but I feel like if I (laughs) was in a new home 
and I heard something coming from the attic, I'd probably go check it out to make sure if I needed to like call an exterminator, like if I needed to get okay, that's fair. animal yeah. control out there. So in that moment, I feel like, you know, it's reasonable at that, at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a normal character moment to have like, all right, cool. Maybe there's something that fell down. Maybe it's the place is falling apart. Like you said, all right. I'll give it that. I'll give it that. For now. For now. For now. <laughs> then they make more bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, the room is dark, so steps on, and sh- and then she steps on an old ladder to turn the light on, breaking one of the steps. The furnace cuts on, creating a creaking noise. She turns the light back off and heads back downstairs. So we get our little bit of a first jump scare with that. Um, the furnace turning back on. Now night, Joss comes back home. Foster runs over to hug him and greet his dad. He has a present for Foster and Dalton, wanting him to share it with Dalton. He compliments Renee on unpacking. Meanwhile, Dalton is upstairs playing alone on the steps. The door to the attic creaks open. And it's a really cool effect where it's just, you can hear it like slowly open too. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, Renee asks Josh if he's seen her uh, sheet music. He's not sure, but knows that they are packed with them. Um that they packed with it with them. She corrects him and she packed them, but can't find them. He thinks that the movers could have put them in the dining room. She claims that they aren't in the dining room, unpacking every single box, but she can't find them. She leaves out of the room, Josh picking up Callie, saying in a baby-friendly tone that they will find them. Cut to Dalton going inside the attic with a lantern. I don't know why lanterns always make everything more creepy. <laughs> like if it's a flashlight, not as effective, but like lanterns are just creepy. Uh, I also he, like the build up here in this scene. Cause you know exactly what's going to happen before it even right. happens. Cause we just had, I don't want to call it foreshadowing, but we have like that moment of her breaking the step. It's like when somebody drops right. a nail in a movie, you, you know, know that that nails on it. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you set the groundwork first. And it's one of those things where I love where it cuts back and forth. So it cuts the tension a little bit. And then you mm-hmm. go back into it. It's like, oh, when is it going to happen? Yeah. It's a really creative way to do things. Uh, he looks around, finding the light chain overhead, but it's too high for him. He tries to go up on the step on the ladder, not able to reach. As he continues going up, step after step, until he steps on the one broken step. Falling off to the ground, his parents are too preoccupied to hear the sudden crash. <laughs> he sits back up, hearing the creaking and cracking sound in the in the shadows. Letting out a scream, causing Renee to finally understand that something's going on with her child, she springs into action in search for him, Josh closely behind. They make their way to his screams inside the room, checking to see what happened. His parents asking him if he's okay and wondering why he was climbing up the ladder. Dalton apologizes as Josh checks to see if he's okay and trying to see what hurts. He whimpers that his leg hurts. Josh checks his leg and notices the scrape on his head. Renee talking about him to not come up there anymore and explore because it's very dangerous. Josh picks him up and continues to ask him questions as they head downstairs. In the corner, she notices the box of her sheet music. It's very interesting that they decided to have like something missing and then it just ends up being in the attic. Mm-hmm. I think that's something where it's like you're creating that uneasy tension of like, hey, I can even like grab things and move things around too. And we yeah. kind of see that with the books. I love where- how everything oh sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. I was just gonna say I love how everything up to this moment 
is building up to the house being haunted. Yes, I, I do love that kind of aspect of things too. And we've later realized like it has nothing to do with it, which is even more unsettling in my opinion. Yeah, but yeah, like the like you were saying, the books earlier, and then um, this moment, etc. Right. Where like usually in horror films, they start off kind of small, but we kind of have like physical movement happen really quickly. Where like that's the thing I love about James Wan; he does not hold back. <laughs> Uh, cut to them putting Dalton to bed, letting him know to not go exploring up there again. They kiss him goodnight, and then the couple are getting ready for bed themselves, Josh trying to give himself a task to help his wife, uh, who very much needs it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, she tells him not to, but he hates feeling helpless. He goes into the bathroom, letting her know that he'll try to get a lock on the attic door tomorrow. She jokes that it's dangerous, and they should put Dalton on a child leash. <laughs> Joss adds to the joke that he'll stop at the pet store on his way home. Awesome. You know, a little cue back and forth. I love the dialogue between them two. They seem like a very happy couple. Absolutely. Um, she apologizes about being upset with him when he got um, when he got him, sharing her day and that she was trying to get some work done, but Callie woke up after half an hour and she wouldn't go back down. Not being able to get anything done. He scoots next to her. She continues that she wants things to be different in this house. But since she had such a bad day, she's scared that nothing is going to change. He promises her that it will, but they have to give it time. She thanks him for allowing her to take some time to work on her music. He smiles that he wants her to do it. She shares that uh, she thinks that she has a couple of good thong- songs that she can do something with. He claims to love her songs as she playfully hits him to shut up. <laughs> They kiss, and she puts him on the spot, asking about his favorite. He jokes that should uh, that she should write a song about how cool he is, and he starts to fake sing. Uh, she shushes him, and then he'll wake up, shushes him that he'll wake up the baby, kissing him to be quiet. The house is still the house is still, but not quiet as the Lamberts snooze. However, in Dalton's room, the windows open as he sleeps um, um, almost his final sleep. Cut to morning, Renee is washing dishes while uh, her kids eat breakfast. Josh enters the room. She asks him to wake up Dalton. He runs upstairs trying to wake up his son, grabbing him some clothes as he thinks that he's just messing around. Placing them on his bed, becoming more serious about him to get up and get ready for school. He pats on the bed as Dalton continues laying still on the bed, realizing that something is wrong. He calls out to Dalton, shaking his... uh, Shaking his body and tapping on his face. They are at the, and then we just cut to the hospital. The, I want to talk about sequence, that scene real quick. Yeah, yeah. That sequence is terrifying. As could a you, parent, absolutely. Yeah, could you imagine walking in on your child and they're breathing, but they're not responding to physical touch, your voice, like absolutely nothing, and you don't know why? This is by far the scariest scene so far in the movie. Yeah. And, and, it, it's one and of, nothing like, is really happening. <laughs> nothing is happening. And then, and of course, like when I rewatched this, I've watched it before, so I know what, what's happening. But for people who are watching this movie for the first time, you're like wondering, why is he in this state? Why is he not waking up? Did he get a concussion? There's a lot of ideas that popped in my head when I first watched this movie. When I was watching that scene, I was like, what went wrong? Like he was completely cool. He was completely fine. But it's completely unrelated to what the accident really was, which we'll like learn about later on too. But it's one of those things where not knowing is 
as scary as what happens at the end too. Yeah. Where my <laughs> my initial thought was like you just said, you know, he got a concussion. Right. And that's not and I don't mean just for him being lifeless. I mean for him, you know, astral projecting and not being able to make it back. I think, you know, like a concussion would have caused him to go into a deeper sleep than normal, right? That's and that true would too. have given the um the entity enough time to do what it needs to do to lock him in place. But the doctor says that the scans come back fine. Like there's nothing wrong with him. They don't even talk about a minor concussion. So I thought that was interesting. I think this is just my like theory with it because it's a new place and it's a new location and he's actually projecting. He wants to go out to explore more or maybe Farther. even visit his old house or something like that. And he sure. went too far and it's very that makes interesting a lot to of see sense. where we don't really get the answer, but at the same time, it doesn't matter too much, but it gives it like that open availability of like, Oh, this is probably what really happened. Just kind of cool. Absolutely. Uh, yes, that's where we cut back to the hospital where the doctor is revealing that Dalton doesn't have any brain damage, but he's in a coma, but there's no brain trauma or infection, his scan coming back completely normal. Renee cries that uh, cries that about there being something that they or she cries that if there's something that there's something they can do. Joss is asking what they should do, leave him there. Uh, the doctor agrees that it's only been a couple days and they have to run some tests. And I feel like that's a scary moment too, where they say it's a, it's been a few days. So now you know, mm. it's like, it's a very serious matter. Uh, he's interrupted by his page, his pager beeping and excuses himself. Josh questions how long the tests are going to take, but doesn't receive an answer. Three months later, a nurse is giving instructions on how to take care of Dalton to Renee. That title that, card. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Just the pop of the title card. And she's like, wow, okay, so we're three, three months, months later. He's still in that same state. That That's terrifying. And it's, oh, it's kind of heartbreaking as a parent. Like, it's been three months where your child has not woken up. That's scary. Uh, her voice becomes indistinct as Renee watches over Dalton. Cut to her trying to play the piano again, but becomes frustrated. She hears static coming from the baby monitor but it becomes a distant whisper. She takes the monitor, turning it up uh, to listen closely, where she starts to begin to hear a man's voice saying, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. She gets up and moves towards the stairs as the whispers continue inside the daughter's room. She can, uh, she begins to look up above as she begins to chuckle and explain, he wants it and to give it to him. He roar, uh, He roars that he wants it now. Renee is startled but runs upstairs to her now-crying baby, quickly looking around the nursery. Nobody is there as she tries to calm her daughter down. She opens up the closet, but nobody is inside. Later that evening, she's folding clothes in the foster's room. Uh, she, finds an, uh, she finds an award on his desk. She asks about it, wondering why he didn't tell them. He shrugs, but he understands that it is hard right now, promising that things are going to get better. She wants to show it to Josh, calling it fantastic as she kisses him. He tells her that he's scared, he, that he comes back to his bed questioning it. He bluntly says, Dalton, wondering if he can cha uh, change rooms. She doesn't understand. He tells her that he doesn't like it when he walks around at night. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> creepy and scary, too. So uh, that's the big thing they don't really bring up again is 
does his body come up and walk around? Does the possession happen at night? Yeah, and so it's slowly happening. The only hint that we get is uh, a moment just after this where he's in bed and then he closes the door and then all of a sudden there's banging. But we don't right. know. We don't technically know if that's Dalton or not. That's fair. So it, it opens a whole different conversation of like if he can actually move around. And it's not really him, obviously, but it could be like spirits possessing his body trying to come through. Or yeah, it could the, be the demon itself, too. Yeah. I was going to say there's a scene coming up where I thought it was going to be like the whole dirt on his feet thing, but mm. we end up seeing something very different, which you're going to talk about. So I'm not right. going to say it yet. Um, um, but yeah, this whole sequence is, is great. I love how, you know, scared the kid is of Dalton and of the things going on in the house. Like he knows what's, you know, that there's something going on. And also, you know, the, the fact that he didn't, say anything about the award he got shows how subdued he is about everything. Yeah. Cause most kids would get an award from school and instantly show their, their parents about like, look how good I am. You know? Exactly. It's uh, yeah. I guess like you can kind of see a little bit of a disconnect with the family ever since the accident has occurred essentially. Or that's how it feels like. Yeah. Um, so the next thing we cut later to that night where Dalton's EKG is beeping as Foster's overhear a creak coming from inside his room. He sits up looking down at the hall at his brother inside his bed. He decides to get out of bed, uh, waiting for Dalton to move so he can have a more justified reason to close the door. He slowly creaks his door closed, peeking at Dalton before closing it shut. He hears the creaking coming from inside his room this time then thudding, causing him to run back into his bed. Meanwhile, Renee shares that what happened in Callie's room. Josh just brushes it off as an interference, but she claims that it sounded so clear, scaring her as she explains what happened but stops when something bangs on the door. They sit up, waiting a moment before it happens again. Josh goes to go check it out, wanting Renee to stay there. He heads downstairs, calling out to who it could possibly be knocking on their door. He looks behind the curtains, trying to turn on the light, but it cuts off. Grabbing a flashlight, checking again, but he doesn't see anyone. He opens the door, calling out to anyone who might be outside, making sure to lock the screen uh, and the door and setting the alarm before heading back mm-hmm. upstairs. Callie begins wailing in her room as she is in pain. Renee goes to go check on her, spotting a man standing behind her daughter's canopy. She screams for Josh, that somebody is in Callie's room. He runs up. She yells that he was standing right there, but nobody's there now. The alarm sounds off, and he instructs her to take Callie and Foster into Dalton's room. He goes back downstairs, seeing his front door wide open. She gathers Foster and takes him inside Dalton's room. As Josh quickly turns off the alarm, then searches around the house. And... (laughs) I love that like Prince was doing some of the notes here. He said, I love how he doesn't close the fucking door though. <laughs> and I agree with that. Like he just leaves the door completely open. I I also like there's a nice touch where the um chain lock is dangling and you see yes. it moving. Like as if someone like, just opened entry. it and ran out or something. Yeah. I thought it, that was really like cool. Like it just happened and you didn't see anything. This is a really effective scene. There's a lot going on in this scene. Like, we have 
the shadow behind the canopy, we have the alarm going off, we hear the knocking, we hear creaking. And like I said, James Wan doesn't hold back. We're like, this is still pretty early on in the movie. Yeah, yet he goes full force into it. This could feel like a third act in some other movies where it kind oh, of builds up to this. But we're I'm here a, going for I'm it. amazed at how much this film, you know, keeps ramping up and you're thinking there's no way it could get more than this and then it does um but yeah i think it does a great job of showing you know prince mentioned the door being wide open you know being overwhelmed you may not you may just try and rush through the house to make sure you can find the perpetrator that's you know doing whatever they're doing uh to mess with you so i could see him being so overwhelmed to not just instantly close the door uh, or, yeah, true. you know, something along that. And then we also feel overwhelmed because of everything that just happened in that short time span. Yeah, th- this is a movie that keeps your heart racing for sure. And like you said, it just like vamps up and vamps up and it just keeps going and going and going. And I think that's what makes this movie so great and very memorable. I feel like a lot of people remember this movie because of how beat by beat it does. Um, but yeah, back with Josh, arming himself with a fire poker as he has to turn on every single light inside the house to make sure nobody's hiding in the darkness. He's startled again by the alarm sounding off, running back to the, uh, to close the front door this time <laughs> and turning off the alarm. Then we cut to Josh in his classroom and his students being let out. He leaves Renee a voicemail exhaling that he has to stay late in great tests knowing that it'll be a while and for her not to wait up. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, there's a little Easter egg in the background uh, where there's a little jigsaw chalk drawing. And I think that's really cool because it's a little callback to him doing saw. We also get um, this spot right here where he's grading papers where he, like, is rubbing his eyes, and then we get, like, this ethereal shot of Dalton Oh yeah, um, sleeping. Yes. So, yeah, he covers his eyes as he remembers back to when he was a child and in Dalton's situation, which is really cool. Uh, so we get a little bit of like a connectivity that he has the same thing Dalton has. Yeah. Uh, the next day, Renee asked the nurse if Dalton has responded to any of the new tests. She responds that he didn't, but they have to give it time. Renee understands that he's not in a coma and they don't know what to call it. Uh, this scene is very interesting to me because I feel like it's a lot of exposition on her end, how she's like explaining it to the nurse and the nurse is just like, yeah, I'm just here to help you. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't need the whole story. It's been three months where like she's, I guess like every time she interacts with someone, she like explains what's happening. Um, but it's very interesting because us as a viewer, we're getting more information. So I was like, okay, exposition, which is fine. Uh, feeling us that they've just given up, that the universe is bending her back to see how far she breaks. The nurse comments that she's picked a fight with the wrong chick. That was kind of <laughs> cool. Uh, she starts fixing Dalton's blanket around his feet, but Renee tells her that it's fine, that she can do that. The nurse leaves out of the room, and she goes to do her uh, do it herself, finding a bloody handprint on the bedsheet near his foot. That's really cool. Crazy imagery, too. You feel mm-hmm. like you see the elongated fingers and it's like claws. I also feel like a lot of movies, you know, would have done like a bruise around his ankle or something like that. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that they decided to go for something around him because right. of like it's know, close, know, but not close enough. Yeah. As we know with how this whole possession works in this world, 
um, they have to wait before they can truly possess him. Right. <laughs> That's true. But it's very effective to see the redness of like how dark red that print is too. And not being able to explain it because there's nothing around that that would have done that. Um, meanwhile, Josh is asleep at his desk at school. His phone chimes and he checks his voicemail. It is Renee asking where he is and that she needs him to come home. He arrives at the house around 10.30, Renee waiting outside on the doorstep for him with the sheet, revealing what time it is and commenting about him coming home late every single night. Not understanding why he has to stay uh, late since he's never had to do it before. He claims that he doesn't like it either, arguing about him not having a choice since he has to pay for Dalton's bills. And yeah, it's kind of sad to see where like brings up the conversations like teachers don't have very livable wages and stuff like that too, where he has to do overtime. But at the same time, uh, I hear in Prince's notes because um, his wife is a teacher. He's like, oh, my wife would definitely have brought to work home and be with the family. I think he should have done the same. That's an interesting thing. I don't know too many teachers that grade papers at the school. school. They usually (laughs) take it home with them and grade them in the comfort of home. Right. So yeah, it is kind of interesting, but I think it also shows the distancing that's happening from, you know, the happy, loving family we saw in the very beginning of the film to how distraught and separated and tired they are now, how argumentative they are now. Right. It's, it's created a divide between them because of everything that's happening. Um, but yeah, she explains that she's scared and he rebuttals that he's scared and he, and it is his son too. She knows that he doesn't understand, continuing that she's scared for Dalton and of the house. Knowing that there's something wrong with this place, calling it a sickness. Ever since they moved in, everything has gone wrong. He sits next to her, questioning if she believes that the house is haunted. She knows it is, explaining that things move around by themselves. She can feel an eye on her when she gets a drink of water from the kitchen that night, not wanting to be there alone anymore, needing him there, asking where he is. He repeats that he was grading tests, but that's not what she means. Knowing that he's avoiding being in the same situation as her, like everything else, that's a stressful situation. He cuts off, uh, he cuts her off to stop saying that and that he's just dealing with them in his own way. She gets up, grabbing the sheet, telling him to deal with this while walking back into the house. Cut to Josh sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. That's what happens. Yep. In my note, I have doghouse <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Man, I mean, you have to be on the couch now. Uh, dreaming about what when he was a kid asleep in the state of astral projection. Dark candlelit hallway in his house surrounded by fog. Something at Dalton's window makes handprints through the uh, condensation. Renee wakes up screaming at 1.53 a.m., trying to catch her breath. She sits up in the bed, trying to gain her composure, not not noticing that someone is walking outside her window. She realizes as the figure paces back and forth, calling to her husband. He's sound asleep downstairs as the man paces and transitions to being inside her room. He looks over at her as she screams and falls off to the other side of the bed. The pale man screeches as he goes after her. Josh wakes up from the commotion, running upstairs to check on her. He finds her on the floor as Callie is also crying. Renee cries that there's someone in there, swearing that he was right there. He checks outside the window but doesn't see anyone. She pleads for him to believe her. He claims that he does, 
not understanding what she would like him for him to do. She quickly answers that she wants to leave, not wanting to spend another night there. She pleads for him to help her as she agrees that they are going. They, he agrees that they are going. Then we cut to them at the new house. I want to talk about that scene real quick, though, because this dude is scary. This this movie does a really good job of making the ghostly presence terrifying and in your face, and they don't they're not subtle. Like this is something that's like right in her face, and I think that's something that's very terrifying. Where sometimes we wake up and we see something at the edge of our door, but this is just like a man just walked outside, and now he's inside screaming at you. That's terrifying. Yeah, most movies you would have it like walk by the window and then the character would look and then it'd be gone and then maybe you'd hear a sound. And there are things like that in this movie, but this one in particular where you're like, oh, okay, that was interesting. It's probably Mm -hmm. over now. And then it walks back again. And then it walks back again. And then it comes into the house and you're like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, usually it's like um, we're so used to and decentralized with uh, jump scares. Mm-hmm. But these are like jump scares that stay there. <laughs> like after the jump scare, you're still there with the entity. And I think that's the thing that leaves the lasting impact, which is very scary to see. Yeah. But like, yeah, this guy comes back to you and I'm like, yeah, you're a, you're an effective, scary person. That That's another thing that I think is really neat is that all of the, cre- the like ghosts or apparitions right. seem to come back throughout the, the movie. Yeah. They're definitely like, they're following Dalton because they know that he's their way back to the real world. One thing that I wonder is, do you think this house really was haunted or did have these entities inside of it, but they travel with Dalton once the connection is made? I think so. I think um, I think there's old and new spirits. I honestly, I don't know why I always felt like the demon wasn't going after him until he went to the new house. Oh. Like, you don't think that the red handprint was the demon? I mean, it always, like, connects to it, and I think that's what their intention was, but I always, like, wonders, like, did he find a demon at the other location? Or, I don't know, maybe. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. The the only thing that leads me to believe that the demon started in the their first house is that when they go in later on in the movie to go find Dalton, it's, like, in the demon's room, which is in the old house. That's true. Okay, that's a good point. The, the one thing I want to know, though, how in the world did they close escrow on a new house and start moving <laughs> in as quickly as they do in this movie? Hey, you no, know, the marketing was uh, the market was at the right place at the right time at that time. Uh, it was easy <laughs> to move houses. Maybe they did a trade system. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess 2011, 2012 was a decent time to buy a house, so that makes sense. <laughs> easy application process. Uh, I don't know if we do get a time jump between houses. It, could it doesn't say not definitely not like the title card, like the three right. months later title card. Right. Yeah. Well, good for them. They found a nice house. Yeah. Too bad. You know, creepy stuff followed them, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so cut to their new house. Josh's mother, Lorraine, is helping them unpack. Renee insists for her not to worry about it, but she wants to. Thinking that Renee should be the one sitting down. Lorraine looks at a uh, family photo shocked that he has one of Josh to hold still for a photo. Renee jokes that she can't believe they are moving all over again. Lorraine places the photo on the counter as Renee assumes that she thinks she's crazy. 
but Lorraine understands that nobody will know uh, what she's going through right now. And whatever she has to do to get through it, she should do it, not wanting her to apologize for anything. Renee thanks her as Lorraine rubs her head. Renee puts on some music as she walks down the set of her new hallway into Foster's room. Uh, cleaning up his mess from his lunch earlier, she continues moving and cleaning, not noticing the boy that's facing the corner by the coat rack. She takes out the trash, her record scratches as it begins to play Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. Iconic song. Something that's always going to stick with me and it always relates back to this movie, to be honest. Why Why does old music, when played in a horror film... So like, creepy? Always so creepy. <laughs> I feel like it's just because it doesn't belong. Sure. It's like, it doesn't fit the scene and... It's off-putting for some reason. But yeah, it's always old classic movies or also, classic uh, songs. We we see the remnants of Foster, like you just described, but the kid, like him and the daughter are like gone for the rest of this movie now. <laughs> for the most part, yeah. Now it's pretty much almost Renee's story for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's always by her perspective too for this whole entire movie, mm-hmm. which kind of kind of transitions to the husband in Insidious too because of what happens in the end. But and then it kind of goes into I forgot what her name is Elise in like Insidious Three or something like that or or the fourth one, but it kind of changes characters in each movie and each sequel, which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, as the song is playing, she throws her trash away, looking back into her house, noticing an old timey dressed boy dancing inside her living room. About to run inside, moving to another window, and the boy is no longer there. She runs inside the house, the music stopping as well. Her kitchen door swings shut, and she goes over to look at it. The boy runs across the room laughing, staring at her down the hall before running off again while laughing. She cautiously follows him into the foster's room. Closing the door, she notices the rocking horse moving. She slowly goes to check, closing the door and stopping the horse. Foster's door slams, and she runs out hearing Dalton's EKG machine and the child laughing again. She goes into the room calling out for him as she scans the room. She spots the kid's clothes underneath the cupboard um, and she takes a hockey stick and moves it open just for the kid to pop out of the cupboard and runs away laughing. What a great scene. I love this scene so much. It's really cool. It's really interesting. And I love how it didn't calm down at all with them moving. Like it's instantaneous yeah. and the ghosts are just uh, ready to to throw down. <laughs> and it's crazy because it's daytime and we don't see yeah. this too often. And that's the thing that's very unsettling. Like it doesn't matter if it's nighttime or daytime, we're going to mess with you. We're going to fuck with you. And the barriers are breaking down more and more. Right. The condition is becoming stronger and then, yeah, things are getting worse. And it's, it's, I, I, there's nothing about like just creepy kids being creepy kids. And I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) The trope works very, very well. And although it's very playful, they do a great way of like moving your interest somewhere, like looking at the shoes and then he pops out right in front of her. That's Mm -hmm. really effective and very useful. Uh, but yeah, we cut to Renee speaking to Father Liam as Josh comes home. He only greets them, joking that this is like the line of the first joke. A guy comes home to find his wife with a priest. Kind of funny. It's pretty good. Um, She introduces him, sharing that he's an old friend of hers. He notices his mother is there as well, wondering what's going on. Martin leaves out to give them some time alone. They all sit at the dining room table while Renee is sharing that the thing from the other house has followed them there. 
Seeing the little boy following him into Dalton's room, but she realized that it wasn't a child, but something else. He smiles as he mocks her bringing a priest in to get rid of it. She rebuttals that she didn't know what to, what else to do. He questions when the last time she even has gone to church. Lorraine steps in to let him know that what's happening to her is real. And I love that she has a backup system where like Lorraine kind of jumps in and be like, no, you should trust your wife as he should. He should believe in her. And I think that's something that's like very apparent towards this end of the movie is like there is that disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Especially coming up soon. We'll talk about in just a moment oh, when yeah. we first see Elise. Um, but yeah, seeing it for herself, sharing that she came today because last night she had a dream about the house, but it was late at night and she was afraid. She continued that she went into their bedroom, but they were both asleep, knowing that she was asleep in her dream, but she felt that some uh, someone was awake inside the house. She went into Dalton's room, noticing something else is in there with him, standing in the corner, and she asked who they are. It's saying that it's a visitor. She asked what it wanted. The creature cracks its arm as it points over to Dalton. She claims that she can still hear the voice while hearing cracking from Josh. Uh, she looks over at him, spotting the demon, red and black face, painted demon standing behind him. She screams as, uh, as she jumps out of her chair as the demon screeches. She doesn't understand what's going on as she screams, I is there. And then, obviously, this is one of the most iconic scenes. Uh, a lot of people, even if you haven't seen the movie, have seen this image of the demon. There's been some memes about it, but <laughs> it's one of those, like, iconic jump scares, I would say. It's the one yeah. that, like, a lot of people will always remember seeing that face because no one really thought it was going to happen because the scare happened, what, a minute before? And now right. we're, we're right back into it, and it's still daytime, which is terrifying. And I like I like everything that comes before it too. Like we technically we find out that the mom has some form of astral projection because yes. she's in the house. Even though she, they never really call what she does astral projection, that sure seems like what she did. Being able to see the house and um, go into Dalton's room and see the demon and even communicate with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love the scene of the creepy figure in the corner, just like the cracking arm is so long. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, flash to the demon's face, which um, is a great, like you said, great iconic jump scare. The whole sequence is really good. Yeah, it's, I, I do like the creature design, even though a lot of people say, like, oh, it looks like Darth Maul. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But uh, no, but everything looks great. Even the creature design of him pointing to Dalton is such a scary image to look at. Uh, let's see here. So I think, but, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that the creature design uh, at this point, it sh- really proves that less is more. Yes. Cause we're going to see, see the creature in full soon. And uh, I feel like it never gets as scary when you see it after you see it in its entirety. Right. It's uh, the Jaws effect, right? Right. Where it's like, it's more creepy with your imagination, thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Thunding comes from Dalton's room, causing them all to run to his room. His door is locked as Josh tries to break it down. He pushes back as the bang from the other side. He busts the door down, them finding Dalton's room completely overturned and Dalton's on the ground. 
At first, in shock after running over to his aid, Renee pleads for her husband to help him as Lorraine watches, letting them know that she knows someone who can help, as long as he's willing to ask. Uh, later that night, two IT-looking dudes, uh, mm-hmm. Speck and Talker, are at their house. Uh, I, I have a quick question. Oh, yeah. Uh, they only call him Specs in this introduction, right? I think so. Every, every single other time they mention him, his name is Steven. Oh, interesting. And I'm, I'm just, just interesting that he introduces himself as Specs, but then every other scene he's called by his, his real name. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, sometimes when you introduce yourself, you give your nickname that you like to be called. And then you find out your real name, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I always introduce myself as Freddy. And then people are like, oh, your real name is Frederick. But Specs is like way different than that. Right. Um, it's funny. A lot, there's like a, a thing going on right now. It's like, oh, you should start calling yourself by your middle name. We'll throw a lot of people off. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's the <a> thing now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's very interesting. And that's a good call out because I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize that one of the actors was Lee Winnell. I was like, oh. That makes perfect sense because he's worked yeah. heavily with uh, James Wan in all of his future projects with this too. Um, yeah, shout out to Le- uh, Lee Wanell. Great person. Uh, but yeah, they introduced themselves um, as Specs, uh, already knowing who Josh is, admitting that he wasn't psychic, but Elise already told him their names. <laughs> Renee wonders where she is. He explains that she sent them over for preliminary tests. Uh, Tucker takes a break from eating his hot pocket to add uh, that it helps uh, weed out the nut jobs, which <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Setting up the groundwork. Uh, they get busy setting up all of the equipment, educating about the uh, the, uh, the meter and all the equipment that they have. It's measuring DC fields in a natural electro- uh, electromagnetic environment. Uh, specs add that the old wiring can leak into the atmosphere and cause hallucinations. Tucker cuts him off and says that a little bit more than that just happened. Uh, but Specs shoes off the tech uh, stuff, not being able to have it relevant to them. But Tucker begs to differ as he starts to search around the room. Uh, Speck gasps as he finds an action figure. <laughs> uh, Tucker continues running tests using a device that measures changes in UV light. Uh, checking inside their bedroom for any of these changes in UV, Specs mocking Tucker's equipment, calling it modified toy. Uh, he tells them that he needs some time alone to concentrate, and they all leave out of the room. He goes into Foster's room, checking the levels, getting nothing until he leaves out of the room. The meter starts to become static as he finds that it's coming from the area of the grandfather clock. He pulls out the UV light changer thing and begins shifting through. Until he lands on light blue, where two women dressed in white, Don and his smile appearing in front of him. He's startled as he moves backwards towards the living room with Specs and Lamberts. I'd love this scene. This scene is terrifying. Yeah, it's so fast and quick, but it's so yeah. effective. The thing that's so effective in this scene for me is his acting. You mm-hmm. see how terrified he is. And just slowly walking backwards to the family, he's like, yeah, call her in. That, yeah, we don't we don't need like to run awesome. any more tests or whatever. Yeah, it's like, and that's the thing. It's like, it, back to the James Wan, just throwing stuff in your face. There's no subtlety to it. It's literally like I just saw ghosts. I barely walked into this room and I saw ghosts, and that's really cool. 
Yeah, even more so, there's a, a little scene um, when Specs finds the action figure where he quips that he should have kept it in the box because it would be worth more. It would <laughs> yeah. be worth money, uh, which is just kind of an in-your-face thing that this guy's a collector and he loves, you know, his, his collection. Right, which I love. He takes pride in all the stuff that he loves, which is yeah. really cool. But yeah, uh, pretty much he interrupts their conversation and tells them to call at least now. Cool. Uh, we cut to Elise being let in by Josh. They introduce themselves to each other, but Elise already knows who he is, claiming that he's grown since the last time he saw her. Saw him. He's confused, and she admits that her and her Lorraine have been friends for a very long time. She greets Renee. Tucker takes her coat while debriefing her uh, as she scans the room. She questions about the previous home. But Spex reveals that Tucker hasn't gone into that yet, and he will still make himself available to get on that this afternoon. Uh, Tucker bickers that he has to come because he has to operate the equipment. They continue their bickering until Elise stops them because she doesn't believe bad wiring is the issue. She asks Renee if she can walk through the house, asking if her other children are with Lorraine. Renee responds that they are. Elise asks Spex for his sketchbook. Renee not only... uh. Renee not sure as to why he needs that. He shares that Elise tells him what she's seen and he draws it, claiming that it's the most important part of the process. Tucker claiming that being debatable. <laughs> I love their pictures, mm-hmm. like whose work is more important, and that comes out later too as well, which is funny. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they move into Dalton's room. Speck's about to turn on the light, but Elise wants him to keep the light off. She greets Dalton, comatose body, letting him know that his mom and dad are there and not to worry. Cracking from above turns her gaze toward the ceiling. She pulls in specs and begins whispering blood, red face, black arms, legs, body. Her voice becomes indistinct for a moment as he tries to quickly draw what she's spotting. He tells her to slow down, but she continues at a speed she is going, repeating it over and over. Renee asks what if it is what it is, but Elise ignores as she continues looking toward the ceiling, revealing what is seen pitch black eyes that are like two dark black holes, hooves for feet, long spidery fingernails. Renee has had enough as she goes over to take a look from the sketch, it revealing the demon that Lorraine saw behind Josh. She runs to turn on the light and nothing is in the corner as Elise continues staring at that location of the ceiling. Another very great, powerful scene. I think one thing that really sells this whole sequence is how much the characters believe in what they're doing. Like, yeah. I I could actually see her seeing the thing on the ceiling. Um, yeah, and her when she's facial expressions. It. And it's just, it's such a... it It's subtle, but not subtle at the same time in the way that she's, you know, acting. Um, especially like, yeah, like you said, when she looks up and says, I don't think it's old wiring, like, it's like she can literally see something. And I think everything in those sequences is great. Yeah. It's this where like strong performance really break through in a scene where her facial expressions, like she's terrified, but at the same time, she's trying to be productive and like call out everything that she is seeing. And you can see how fast he's sketching and making sure he gets every single detail that she's talking about. It's a scene that's very like fast paced. Uh, and something that's terrifying because you don't see what she sees. And as a viewer, that's terrifying because we're using our imagination and then we get the reveal of the sketch. So we're kind of like in um, Renee's shoes where it's like, 
describe to me what what do you see what do you see and she gets no answer as us the viewer also doesn't get an answer until we get that reveal it's like okay i'm going in let me see the sketchbook and then it's terrifying image a very scary image yeah super scary uh, inside the living room, Elise is ready to spill the bad news, but asks for an agreement beforehand. Uh, they agree that Renee wanted her to go on, so she sits down, revealing that Dalton is not in a coma, and, fall- and falling off the ladder had nothing to do with this. His physical body is, but his spiritual body isn't. The reason why the disturbances have followed them to the new house is because Dalton is the one that's haunted. Renee does not understand. Elise questions if she's heard of astral projection. Josh swallows hard from this question. Renee believing that she has, has thinking it as an out-of-body experience. Elise chuckles that she calls them travelers, explaining that they are able to leave their body and travel to different places in astral form. Dalton is considered a very accomplished astral projector and has been doing it in his sleep for a very long time. Him being unafraid because he believes that they are dreams but the lack of fear has led to him to travel too far. And now he's become lost. Renee questions this, at least calling it the further, explaining that the further is a world beyond their own, but is all around them, a place without time as they know it. A dark realm that fills a tortured, that's filled with tortured souls of the dead, a place that isn't meant for the living. This being where Dalton is. The problem being with his actual body gone, his body is empty and ready for the taking. There being entities that know this, that knows this, and because they can smell it. That being the reason why they're gathering around him. Renee wonders if there are these things that uh, she's been seeing, at least nods her head. Uh, continue that they are all trying to get inside his physical body because they crave the chance to live again. But there are other malevolent, uh, malevolent, Entities that have a more insidious agenda. There we go. We got our title. Yeah, name drop. Name insidious, drop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Q and uh, was it Leonardo DiCaprio um, pointing at the screen <laughs> with the right, coffee insidious, mug? Insidious, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, but there are. Uh, she pulls out the sketchbook, showing that there is this demon who seeks Dalton's body for the only reason to cause pain to others. Renee begins to cry as Elise explain, exclaims that he's the, the closest of them all, of all of the entities, to get inside Dalton's body. Their ability to cross over from their realm takes time and energy. But the longer Dalton's astral body stays away from his real one, the weaker the link gets, and the easier it is to possess him. Renee cries, wondering what they can do to get, his, to get her son back. Elise answers that. That there's nothing they can try, but it's uh, there's something they can try, but it's a little unorthodox. But she wants their complete trust. Joss gets up saying no, and that this has gone too far. Renee argues that he promised to give her a chance. He claims that he has, but can't fathom what she is saying. She argues that he allowed her to come all this way for him to not hear her out. He shares that he did all of this to allow her to feel at ease, but he draws the line when Dalton is brought into it. She doesn't understand why he's still in a coma, and the doctor can't tell them what's wrong with him. He claims that she wants to believe in all of this. She sobs. Uh, she begins to sob that he doesn't believe her as she drops down to the couch. He doesn't understand how he can't believe her since he moved houses for her. 
but he considers this dangerous and uh, exploitative, arguing about them making the connection between their son and what his wife is seeing. Elise takes a deep breath, understanding that her time to leave, it's her time to leave, as Josh holds the door open for them. Uh, This is when Renee tries to get her to stay, but Elise understands that she is no longer welcomed and leaves with Specs and Tucker. Uh, Renee storms off as Josh apologizes for wasting her time. So now we get our big scene where they're fighting, and it's a bigger disconnect. And it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because I don't know if he's afraid of what he's hearing, because deep down he knows something's connected to him with it, or he's just straight not believing her, which is kind of sad to see, too. I think the next scene really shows that he's in denial. He It's not that he doesn't believe, because he asks his son, you know, where are you? You know, are you really off somewhere else? Um, And I think he doesn't want to believe that all this is true because if, if all of this is true, then there are a lot of things in this world that he just doesn't understand. And like you said, has a past with that's deep down that he kind of knows exists, but at the same time doesn't. Right. And he's always had that feeling of like, also with the whole thing, it's like not taking photos and stuff like that. He He's definitely afraid of it. And it's, it's something that's like submerged in his own mind. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want it to be real. And I think that's the self-realization. It's like, I can't allow this to be real because it makes everything real. That yeah, I'm and hiding. Like those, those flashes of him having visions of the, the old house and the candlelit hallway and yeah. him, his own body sleeping uh, and stuff like that. You know, it's it's getting stronger and stronger as we get through this movie. Absolutely, and it's uh, man, it's so good. Uh, cut to Josh talking to Dalton, asking where he is, claiming that he's right there, knowing that he can hear him, uh, knowing that he can hear him, but wanting him to show him that he can hear him. A picture that Dalton drew on drew of of a red faced demon falls off the wall. I always find this scene hella funny for some reason. Because they moved houses, so they've seen these pictures and put up those pictures themselves because obviously Dalton's in the coma, so they he didn't put it up there. So it's like, how did you not recognize all of these drawings beforehand? Because you as the parents put those paintings up and you're like, oh there's no rare flag at all. Until like, yeah. oh I connect the dots now. The <laughs> the psychic is telling you about a red faced demon with a black body and there's a red-faced like person with a black silhouette on one of his drawings and you're just like ah it's fine like all of his like drawings are very like scary images and demonic it's like well why'd you even put those photos up to begin with or those going going back to josh being in denial like they just saw uh dalton's room torn apart and him lying on the floor like Like, obviously there's something going on Uh, but uh, good old Josh. Good job, Josh. Uh, and then there's another drawing of one being of a red door, another of him writing that he washed himself sleep and then he flew away. All of the pieces are coming together, now, essentially. They actually reference that piece it, earlier in the film when mm-hmm. after he's fallen, he, he says something like, um, you might be a superhero, but you're not invincible. Oh, and it's the yeah. picture of him flying, and that's the same right. one from the beginning of the movie to now. Yeah, so they have that. seen these pictures for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, Josh s- starts to sob as he places his hand on the drawings. 
Renee comes into the room. He looks over at her, agreeing on having Elle's, uh, Elise back. They embrace. Elise is back as they set up a whole bunch of shit inside Dalton's room. She shares what's going on, and Tucker adding that he will st- uh, that he will have cameras that are rigged to pick up any changes in the atmosphere, not wanting them to be alarmed if they go off. Elise continues that they will see a lot of confusing things and that they won't understand, instru- instructing them to not question them or speak. Sharing that it will be, uh, sharing that it will be a low volume and they won't hear it, but Specs will write it down and repeat it for them. She asks for Tucker to dim the lights. She turns on the lantern in the middle of the table. Here goes with the creepy lantern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker puts on a gas mask on Elise's face and headphones attached to the mask on the Specs on Specs' head. The lampreys watch her as she begins, and this is also a very. I think for me, an iconic look for at least like oh, the whole yeah. gas mask stuff. And it has a tube going into like headphones. It's, it's, it's wild. Crazy. It's yeah. such an interesting, like, I want to know who came up with that idea. Oh, James Wan. James Wan has a weird <laughs> mind. Yeah. Like, Cause I mean, who, who would think that up? Like, Oh, we need to isolate sound. So how could we do that? A gas mask attached to some headphones would be perfect. That's yeah. I mean, the mind of the guy who created saw, right. Who creates right. these That's elaborate true. traps and stuff like that. And uh, of course the beautiful malignant the masterpiece itself uh, only comes from the mind of James Wan. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, well, they put on the equipment. Specs uh, speaks that they are calling out to Dalton, repeating the words of Elise. Tell us you're safe. Tell us where you are. Dalton, can you hear us? Answer us. A bulb flash startles them as Elise continues asking, who's there? Dalton, it's your mother and father. We've been searching for you. Where are you? Dalton responds, I can't see in here. Elise tells him that he doesn't need to see and to follow her voice. She calls out to Dalton, wondering why he isn't talking anymore. He says, if they hear me, they'll hurt me. She asks, who will hurt you? As her body begins to convulse and the flashes become more frequent, Dalton's head begins to move as the heart monitor beeps rapidly. Dalton answers, man with fire on his face. She continues speaking with Dalton to potentially find his way out. He answers, there's no way out, as she repeats for him to follow her voice. He tells her to be quiet or they'll hear, they'll hear her. She explains that they won't hear her and to follow her voice. Dalton eerily responds that, they heard you. Oh my God, mommy and daddy. He repeats for them to help him over and over. She calls for Dalton as they receive another response. You bitch. <laughs> oh, so uh, even like reading these notes gives me goosebumps it's like that's the turning point it's like you're no longer talking to Dalton right you got interfered by something yeah and if you had to guess which spirit do you think this is do you think it's the demon <sighs> do you think it's the guy the creepy guy with the coat and the semi-long hair <clears throat> I don't know it I mean, I feel like it relates to the demon because they talk about like how violent, like I'll kill you and rip you apart and stuff like that too. Yeah. So I'm assuming that, but it sounds like this entity knows her. So I always like to believe it's like the old lady that follows Josh. Oh, that's really it's cool. Like, You're the one that stops me from getting Josh. You bitch. I'll rip you apart. Like that's, I mean, it makes you know it what? scarier for that. I like, aspect. I like that one. I right? like that a lot. That's what um, I'm going to go with. That that would be creepy. 
because obviously she's around too. Well, because if you remember towards the end of the film, when, when a significant twist happens, he, uh, the entity calls, uh, at least that again. Yeah. So that actually makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. I could totally see it. And then obviously she gets her revenge, but we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, more profanities are written down, but in light of keeping this film PG 13, they do not repeat <laughs> what is written. Uh, Elise's body begins to shake rapidly as Specs writes the responses, I will rip your innards. The Lamperts are in shock at the vile responses and they are, that they are receiving. Uh, Lisa's body convulses until she screams, causing Speck to break his pencil and rip off his headphones. The flashes continue and Dalton's machine beeps faster. Specs checks on her as the EKG flatlines. Josh calls out to him as his son is no longer in bed. Terrifying. Uh, he appears right next to them with his eyes closed, shocking his mother. He raises his hand and slams it on the table, sending them all tumbling to the ground. Okay, he's a, he is a superhero. Very <laughs> nice. Uh, Josh tries to get up and run to his son, but the force inside him throws the table at him. Renee crawls over to him as the door opens to a group of ghosts watching. Dalton smacks the shit out of Specs, sending him flying across the room. The man that Renee saw at the other house comes walking toward them as she shrieks in fear. Elise grabs Dalton, yelling for them to leave this vessel. Uh, and pretty much, um, her friend, uh, Renee, uh, grabs Renee as continues screaming. Oh, <laughs> I love how, like, Prince put these notes. Homeboy grabs Renee as continuing to scream and he licks her. That is a very disturbing yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Makes you wonder, you know, like, what, what is this dude's motives? Right. Like, his past life and stuff like that. Ugh, no, it's so scary creepy. Thing about. And that's the thing where it's like things are unanswered, but we can fill in the gaps of what we think he was capable of. Um, Josh grabs him, but he's easily overpowered. Elise continues yelling for them to leave out of Dalton, demanding Tucker to turn on the lights. Dalton slowly falls to the ground as soon as the lights come back on. They check on him to make sure that he's still alive, relieved that he still is. Tucker looks at the footage from the event but they didn't pick up anything. He shows Spex, who is currently icing his wounds with the cold raw meat, the footage he caught on the DV camera. He shows him a frame of Dalton during the main attack, the demon behind him controlling his movement. And that's really cool. It's like a, like a puppet in a way. Yeah, it's different than the possession we see at the end of the movie. Right. Um, where... You know, this time it's the demon behind Dalton. So it's getting to the point where he can control Dalton's body, but not fully possess him. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's one step closer. Uh, the doorbell rings, startling Josh and Renee awake. Elise gets to the door, greeting Lorraine. Josh, confused as to why she's there, Elise shares that she's immediately called her after the session. He becomes more confused. Uh, <laughs> I love it on Princess Notes too. He's like, what I'm confused about is who's watching the other two kids. That's what I'm saying. Where'd they go? <laughs> <laughs> they don't matter no more. <laughs> they got a babysitter. Why not? <laughs> there you go. Uh, she tells him that there's something that they must talk about, instructing Lorraine to have a seat. They all sit down while Lorraine is gathering the courage to tell him as uh, Elise urges her to do so. She shares that the reason why she knows Elise so well is because she called her years ago to help out Josh. He doesn't understand. Elise mentioning that it isn't an accident that Dalton has this ability to travel, that being that it's being handed down by him by Josh. 
he's shocked, knowing that he can't do that. Lorraine reveals that he was uh, when he was eight, he suffered from night terrors. And then we get a nice little flashback to Josh as a kid as she continues that she that he was terrified of an old woman who used to come visit him at night. Very rightfully so. I would be terrified to see that image at night myself if I was a kid, even as an adult. Hell no. Yeah. No thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, she, dismiss, she, dis, she dismissed his stories, telling him to grow up until she saw the old woman for herself. She looks over at Lee's nodding her head. She takes out a box to hand to him and to Renee. He opens it, and she takes out the photos of him as a child. Lorraine thinking that they were camera glitches at first, as a blurry image of a woman sits in the car. But she saw her again, a bit more clear, standing behind a tree at this baseball game. Then again, clear as day, as they stand on the stairs of the stairs of a school. Each photo getting closer and closer to him. Another of her reaching out to him. She was so frightened that she found Elise. Renee asks him if he remembers any of this, but he does not. Elise explains that it's suppressing his memory, ability to astral project, was the only way to get him to stop. But, uh, to stop her as well. But she knows that she's still afraid to have his photo, but she knows that he's still afraid to have his photo taken. She's advised Lorraine to hide them and to stop taking his picture to allow him to forget. He questions who she is. She only calls to her a parasite that befriended his astral body and drew him out into the further, just as his son has been drawn out. Lorraine apologizes to Josh as Elise kneels down next to him, assuring that he's telling him this for the sake of Dalton, and she didn't want it to have it to come to this and have him remembering all of it, expressing that he's the one to bring him back, but he doesn't have much time uh, left to get the job done. Josh nods and agrees that Renee embraces him. Renee pumps him up in, in that exchange of I love yous and a kiss. Uh, she whispers for him to come back. Cut to him sitting down, prepping to ask for project as Elise shares the instructions. Wanting him to remember why he's traveling and to keep one foot in the world. Instructing him to not draw attention to himself. I love that she says that because he does not do that. He attracts a <laughs> lot of attention to himself. He's constantly yelling, constantly reaching out to people. But we'll talk about that. Uh, because if they realize that he's not one of them, they will be, they'll, they'll, they will come for his physical body. She asks for him if he's ready. He is as, he is as ready as he ever will be. She starts to, uh, starts a metronome, metronome, instructing him to close his eyes, taking a deep breath and relax. Continuing the instructions, let the life around you fade into the background. Wanting him to focus on the spot in the center of his forehead. She asks multiple phrases as he concentrates on the metronome. He opens his eyes, thinking it didn't work, but then he gets up. Commenting that it's useless and that he has no idea what he's doing as his voice travels. He turns around, seeing Elise and his body asleep in the chair. She tells him that he's now outside and to use her voice as a guide. Into the further you go. I love this. This is such a great scene. Uh, and then we first get introduced to the further now. Yep. And I think they did a really good job at world building the further and how it actually looks and how it actually like portrays the undead there too. They're kind of like literally lost souls repeating what happened to them in a way until they realize they can come back to life. Yeah, until something disturbs them and they right. see the energy. They're like the in a loop in a way. Uh, so Elise disappears from the table as he looks around for a moment. He floats towards the door that's open for him, 
grabbing a lantern, back to the lanterns, spooky stuff, <laughs> uh, before exiting into the darkness oh, outside. Wh- why does this lantern exist, though? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of those things. I, I feel like lanterns are always, like, just way more creepier for some reason. So yeah. I just wonder if, like, if he feels comfort from the lantern, so he kind of, like, creates it as a... Right. Because they talk about how much power he has as someone being alive versus, you know, the people that are dead. So it's like, oh, I'm in a dark place. And then he thinks, if only I had a lantern, and then a lantern (laughs) appears, you know? Right. He manifests it. (laughs) Uh, It could be, metaphorically, like, his guiding light into the darkness. The one yeah. thing that's holding him together in the real world or something like that. Why not? <laughs> it's probably not that deep, but <laughs> I do I do wonder if this movie was done today, if they would have done something like that. Where instead of having a lantern, they did like a, a CG gliding light and then just right. had a floating LED to do the light casting while they were filming or something. It's like it's her voice. It's at least yeah, exactly. guiding him through the frame. <laughs> um, yeah. That'd be yeah, that'd be kinda interesting. Um, she disappears. Oh, wait, I already said that. Joss looks around into the darkness as his heart beats faster. Uh, Scrims floats through the darkness until he believes that he's, um, believes that he sees his son. He runs away from, um, Josh, but he catches up to him, revealing that it is his son, but his younger self. There's a lot into this as well. And I think this is my theory with this scene, how he sees his younger self. Elise talks about this is a place without time. I, I think he is meeting his younger self when he astro projected when he was younger and meets his older self, if that makes sense. Because time yeah, is irrelevant. It's, it's kind of a metaphor for like, he, he's they splintered his personality, right? And closed right. him off from being to, able to astral project. So when he gets reintroduced to that world, he's reunited with his younger self, almost becoming complete in a way. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Or this could be the side of him that he submerged and now he's just relearning himself yeah. and stuff. Uh, but yeah, he points to Josh in a certain direction toward his old house. Meanwhile, Elise shares that he's in while stopping the metronome. Cut back to Josh opening the door, calling out to Dalton. He's startled as I am by a woman <laughs> dressed in a bridal gown in a veil while holding a bouquet of flowers. She travels upstairs and he calls out to her, but she ignores him. Why is he getting attention from people he was told not to but it's okay uh he follows her hearing her crying sorry go ahead i do wonder if it's because his younger self helps him and he thinks maybe if i try and get these other one yeah (laughs) these other entities to help me maybe they'll help me (laughs) i mean it makes it yeah it makes it feel that way it's like oh i trust one i'll trust them all but then again (laughs) he, he is out there yelling you know like right, right off the bat. So probably not. <laughs> but yeah, as he follows her, hearing her cry, the door opens by itself. He tries for the light, but it doesn't work. The crying continues as he searches for the woman, calling out to her as she stands in the corner behind the door. She continues sobbing, but Josh ignores her cries, telling her that she that he's looking for her son. A little kid laughing and running breaks the attention. The woman is gone now and begins searching. In, and then he begins searching in different rooms of the home. Going inside one, but his attention is turned to whistling. Josh rushes back downstairs, and we see a still family sitting on the couch and a woman ironing clothes. He looks at them, getting closer, uh, getting closer with them, as the lantern hits their face, but they don't move. 
he goes over to the woman ironing, moving in a little closer to her face as he carries a forced <laughs> smile. This is very scary imagery too. It's, it's, oh it's, man, it kind of goes back to like that old timely look too. Yeah, like, it, for whatever reason, that's creepy too. It's like a classic 1950s family where <laughs> yeah. the the mother is ironing and the father and daughter are sitting on the couch watching some television program, and right. all their makeup and costume design here is like 1950s esque, but super creepy. Yeah, their facial expressions of being so lifeless is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I also like how they almost cut frames from their movement to right. make it almost more instantaneous. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very disturbing way they edit this and the close-ups of their faces and stuff like that, too. And I don't know if this is mean saying they just look scary, like their faces are terrifying. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with I'm, the makeup crew on that one you know maybe they put some like cheek extensions to make features more accentuated and right it's like yeah realistic but not it's like there's something off exaggerated almost exaggerated that's a good way to put it absolutely um while he gets closer to her face she blinks causing him to move away from her (laughs) and the man holding the newspaper begins to whistle again he starts calling for dalton again his attention drawn from another room where he hears a gun cock the woman that was sitting on the couch is now holding the gun. He asks her where his son is, but she just blinks. So if you see a woman with a gun, you are still asking about your son. Very interesting so, choice. So there's something here. Uh, I don't know if that's the same woman. or Because remember, we saw the two girls in the right. hallway. And then, oh, um, okay. and then here you see uh, her cocking the gun. And in right. just a moment, she's going to go outside, and there's three dead bodies there, and her holding the gun. You're right. So I think she's the other girl we saw earlier. I can see that. Because yeah. in the next scene, when we get the close-up of all of them where they smile, I'm pretty sure there's four of them standing there as well. Yeah, that's a good call-out. I, I think you're right. I'm pretty sure you're right. I mean, that just makes it a little bit creepier, too. Oh, my God. So much creepier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, his attention being picked back up to the living room because of the gunshots. The daughter killed her. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know with the the show notes that Prince had, but the daughter killed her twin, mother, and father. There we go. With her eerie smile on her face. So, yeah. There we go. Um. Josh backs the fuck up, but a door breaks <laughs> open. Uh, he, he looks into that direction, looking back at the family now, standing in front of him. Terrifying jump scare. Oh, man. Uh, so effective. Uh, he runs back upstairs, as I would. The family is now gone. The door to the attic creaks open. Josh heads up there, seeing the red door at the end of the hallway. So I, I think the demon did live up in those attic then. If the door's right? up there, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's like, if you were to place that room in the astral plane versus the real world, where the furnace right. is, is like the demon's room. Oh, and then where where Dalton is, is where he fell in in the attic. No, that's a great point. Okay, yeah, yeah. This makes a lot more sense. See, that's why we break it down scene by scene. Um <laughs> Okay, a man stands in front of him, grabbing and throwing Josh, trying to force his mouth open, but he fights back. His real body also being affected during the tussle. The man rusts him up pretty good, throwing him across the room. 
Renee is concerned, instructing Elise to help him. She speaks to him, letting him to know that he's stronger since he's the one alive. He pushes the man with a get-away-from-me uh, action back into the darkness. Now that's uh, now that that's taken care of, he goes through the red door. And it's kind of cool. Like He becomes like almost like a superhero, too. So, in a way, being alive in the further gives you abilities that obviously the dead don't have. Which is kind of cool to look at. More world-building, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hears Dalton crying inside a ballroom. He calls out to Dalton. He waves his dad over. Josh embraces his son before trying to work off his shackles. Now, Dalton, yeah, this this was one of the weirdest edits I think in the entire movie because um, it's like this slow mo ish. Yeah, it's like a slow mo fade cut back and forth yeah. thing. I don't know if they did it because the ADR messed up and the dialogue didn't match up. So they were like, well, let's do this like ghostly weird fade edit. It'll be cool. But yeah, that's probably, jarring. yeah, that's one of the, the few parts of the movie where I was, I was kind of taken out of it a little bit. And yeah, it's rightfully so. I, yeah, it has no purpose within the movie. Yeah. For how because everything else is shot ever yeah. before or afterwards. But, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Dalton's attention is up to the window as the demon is sharpening his nails while listening to Tiny Tim. <laughs> Josh brings his son's attention back on him, claiming that none of this is real and that he's going to get him back home. I still can't believe he's still saying stuff like that. No, it's yeah, 100% real. <laughs> this isn't real. Yeah, obvi- obviously Bro. this is real. Like, <laughs> You're in the afterworld. This is a, this is a different uh, plane of existence, but it's still real. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's able to rip off the shackles somehow as well. And I guess maybe, you know, being superhuman powered, why not? Superhuman uh, powers can manifest lanterns out of thin air. <laughs> Obviously, he can make tr- chains dissipate. You know, I would go into the further if I had all these abilities. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a little practice just going there, beat off some like undead people, and then go back to real life. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but yeah, he rips off the shackles, uh, and then he stops. Uh, he stops to share that the red-faced creature is looking at them. And this is a good, like, little uh, reveal. It's like him looking out the window is really cool. Uh, Just looks up to the window. The demon looking down at him, hissing as he has his split tongue at them. He hears the crackling looking on the side of him, just to have it right in his face. It screeches at him, causing him to be thrown on the floor. The creature stomps over to him, getting <laughs> a little prince in his nose. Uh, the creature stomps over to him, getting pimp slapped across the floor. <laughs> Thank you, prince. Uh, in the real world, the whole house is shaking. Dalton calls out to his dad before trying to leave his ass there, <laughs> just getting pulled back into the thing using the force. Uh, Dalton crawls out of there. Josh picks him up and makes him run for it. The demon looking at them both with his serpent eyes. The house continues to shake, at least knowing that he's made contact. Josh and Dalton run out, grabbing the light on their way out. He carries his son as they continue making a run for it, at least knowing that he has found Dalton. Lorraine wanting her to wake him up, but she can't. He needs to find them to get back home. Cut to them out of the darkness, hearing whispers, moans, and gasps. Dalton is afraid as they come across a ton of dead people. The house is violently shaken at this point, the bulbs bursting around them, and Renee uh, yells for Elise to do something. She tells Renee that she needs to reach out to him. Renee speaks to him, telling him to follow her voice. The dad and son continue yelling for them to stay away as they hear the voice of Renee. 
but they aren't the only ones the dead hears, uh, hears it as well. So Josh tries running through the crowd, closing in on them. The house stops rumbling. Elise stands up, waiting for, to listen. They hear a scraping noise from the other room. Tucker hand specs a flashlight, just so he can turn on a bigger red <laughs> filtered flashlight. This scene was kind of silly. It, it cut the tension a little bit, where like he lights up the flashlight, and then, uh, who was it? Yes. Uh, Specs comes out with a bigger flashlight. I was like, mm-hmm. why? Why did you have to put that in there? <laughs> it, it's like uh, the comedy relief, but it is a comedy relief at the wrong time. The tension should stay big in this moment. Yeah, but it it was funny, but it does take away a little bit of the tension. But <laughs> it's a very odd choice. Uh, because we didn't have that type of comedy throughout this movie until that moment, and I was just like. Yeah. Okay. Why not? I mean, there, there's definitely their rivalry, but yeah, it's the bickering. It, it's never it's never hindered their work. Like they they both have their own jobs. Right. So yeah, for them to all of a sudden have this like bigger flashlight thing is really silly. Like it works. It, it made me laugh, but at the same time, yeah. did I want to laugh at that moment? <laughs> <laughs> Should um, we have laughed at that moment? <laughs> right. Uh, he expects go first. He shakes as he enters the room. Uh, breathing rapidly as he searches around the kitchen with the light, the drawer inside the kitchen is open. He goes to close it, but hands reach out and touch him. He falls to the ground, running back into the living room, yelling that there's something in there. Elise commands him and Lorraine to check on Dalton. He doesn't understand, causing her to yell for him to check him now. They run inside the room to check on him, and he's still in his bed. Tucker goes into the other room, screaming at the sight of something. He runs back into the living room to grab a larger, regular flashlight. The baby monitor emits static and is filled with yells. Elise mentions that they are crossing over into their world. The dead burst through the closet door, screeching uh, screeching at Lorraine and Specs. Yeah. real quick, this is one of those gags that I was talking about earlier when we first started recording. Monsters from my closet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then there's another one that happens here in a moment where it's a monster under my bed. And I thought that the those were really funny, you know, like like callbacks to like callbacks normal to fears the, that people have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I feel that's the thing that we could always agree on is that James Wan knows horror and what people are afraid of and yeah. utilize that. And I think yeah, those are really cool callbacks. And that's absolutely the classic nuances of the of the stories we were all told as kids or right. you know, the fears we had staring into our dark closet and and thinking a monster was gonna come out or something. Exactly. Yeah, people are afraid of attics. People are afraid of basements and they kinda use that in the um, the conjuring with the basement. We kinda yep. have that in insidious with the attic. Um yeah, no. He plays on the fears of like normal fears that people have, which is really cool. Uh, even the further kind of being like afraid of the dark, being yeah, afraid of what's around you, absolutely. Too. And that's a that's a great shout out. Yeah, yeah. Are there, you afraid of the dark? Like a, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, Tucker spots some business suit wearing dude standing in the corner of the kitchen, causing him to back away and call for Elise. Specs, on the other hand, is able to get the ghosts out by simply pushing them back behind the closet door and closing it. So I guess you could do that too. Uh, Elise <laughs> tells Tucker that he must shine the light on Josh. Meanwhile, Josh and Dalton run toward the house, not able to get into the front door, but they run over to the back. And Elise demands for Tucker to shine the light on Josh and for Renee to keep calling out to him. She starts yelling uh, for them to come back. And 
As she does that, another ghostly lady enters the room. Josh and Dalton make it into the house, and Josh becomes tired of holding his son, where Dalton uh, urges Josh to hurry, but he tells the son that he's right behind him. Just where he finds it to be a good time to take a break. <laughs> mm. I think that's really funny. Like, he's already in the house. Why are you stopping? Mm-hmm. But, sure. Um, Dalton continues down the hallway, opening up the door where the demon is hiding, and then Dalton quickly jumps to the other room to hide, but the creature grabs him from underneath the bed. I do really like this scene because it has like that fog on the ground, and you just hear the, yeah. the scratching of him crawling under the bed and then grabbing him. So you kind of like hear him enter the room, and then we get to reveal that he was under the bed to grab him, which was yes. really effective. That's also um, a trope of the further is that there's a fog everywhere. Right. That's a big thing, too. And uh, I think the constant fear of like not only like a creature under your bed, but like having your feet down and being like grabbed is another fear that people have, too. Yeah. Uh, Dalton tires make, uh, making a run for it, but he's grabbed, fighting himself off of it, breaking free for just to see some of the, breaking free for a moment to see the probably the most outdated wall crawl of a demon ever. <laughs> and that's, that's where like the CGI doesn't help the movie too much. Well, and, the, and this so goes cool. back to what I was talking about earlier about like finally seeing the full demon and they've got his like CG tail and yeah, running right. along the wall and stuff like that. Um, where it's like it was much scarier when they were trying to be creepy about More subtle. it. Yeah. And it's still a great, you know, sequence, the intensity of it chasing after them and whatnot. But yeah, the visual effects are definitely from 2011. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it still works for the most part. It doesn't take away from the movie. Obviously. Yeah, the nice thing is this is something that our minds can't really comprehend necessarily. So it the fact that it doesn't look real isn't the worst thing in the world because it's it's an ethereal being. It's it's a creature from the further. Right. Yeah. It, everything else was perfect. So you kind of like this is like a pass. Um, but yeah, Josh then looks into a mirror and sees the old lady that's haunted him for years. He says to get away from him as we transition back to the group trying to wake him up. Back and forth, we see him yelling at her while all of the ghosts surround his physical body. The entity begins to disappear into the darkness as he continues to yell at her to go away. We see the bedroom open and Dalton's body. They come in and see that he's waking up. It seems that the nightmare is finally over. Oh, and I guess I skipped that part. Um, as the entity disappears into the darkness, he finally wakes up. Then they open the door to Dalton's room uh, to see that he's finally waking up as well. Uh, Renee is ecstatic to see him awake and hugs him. Everyone is smiling in the room. We fade to black. As the investigators talk about how famous they're going to be, we cut back to Dalton eating and saying that he's tired. Renee jokingly says that he's not allowed to be tired and that he's never going to sleep again. Uh, nice little cute moment. And we get back to that family dynamic of like them joking around and being connected yeah. again. So that's really uh, cute. Almost too instantly, but at the same <laughs> yeah. time, like she's probably full of endorphins and elated that her son is right. awake for the first time in three and a half months or whatever. There's just like nightmares over. Everyone's just ecstatic and happy and there's euphoria and there's people like, yeah, we defeated it. I'm awesome. just happy they had spaghetti ready for him, you know? And then James Wan's like, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we see that Josh talks to Elise about what happened, and while he passes her something, she notices something, and it's something about his hands. She takes the camera and takes his picture. He yells, why would you do that, as he attacks her and starts choking her. In the other room, no one hears a thing. <laughs> he calls her a bitch as she dies. Renee comes to the room and sees her dead body. 
She runs looking for Josh room to room. She comes back and looks at the photo as the score of the music blasts. We see a flashback to Elise taking the photo and seeing its evil woman that has now possessed Josh. And then we see a nice little close-up of uh, Renee. Josh uh, shows up and says that he's right here. Then we get that insidious logo one last time before credits. Yeah, Renee looks behind herself and gasps and then cut to the um, the logo, the title card. Um, And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where instead of uh, being behind Josh, it's just the old lady. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, what an ending. And obviously it sets up for like the sequel and stuff like that, too, and creating this new franchise. But it's an ending that's kind of still justified of like, it's sad to see that that happened, but it's kind of cool that it happened. Now, too good to be true that everything worked out for them. Did you know that if you watch through the entire credits, the old woman is standing there at the very end in all blackness <laughs> and she blows out the candle she's holding and then it, you know, is just black. I did not know that. And that's beautiful. I love that. I'm definitely going to see it probably after we record too, because I want to see that. Yeah. It's um, really cool. It's, it's the very, very end of the credits, like right before, you know, like the, is it dimension logo comes up, whoever right. produced the film. Um, before that logo, you know, comes up at the end of the film, uh, as the credits end, she's, I think she turns around and looks into the camera and then blows out the candle and then black. terrifying. <laughs> I love that. She's a very scary character. And yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember watching Insidious 2. I definitely know I've seen it. I definitely want to rewatch it now watching this movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's just one of those things where like this movie kind of rules. This movie has a lot of scares. Uh, it's generally a lot about the score, too. I think the score is very powerful. Um, it's just one of those things where it's just iconic to hear like all those violins and stuff like that. And I don't know, the production of this movie is incredible. It's like it's, we talked about it earlier with only $1.5 million budget, they were able to accomplish a lot. Everything, yeah. It looks great and it holds up for the most part, except for maybe like, yeah, the the demon crawling on the wall. But at the same time, like this movie is over 10 years old and it's still super effective. Even the rewatchability, you can rewatch this movie and still get scared. Yeah. And for those people who haven't seen this movie, this is a great movie to introduce. Like, hey, if you want to see a really scary movie, Insidious always comes to mind for some people. But. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much like a lot of James Wan's uh, stuff, The Conjuring and and all of that. I feel like are great introductions to the horror genre because there's not yeah. like a lot of gratuitous gore or stuff, but it's still got those scares in it. Absolutely, what a movie! I love this movie, but I do have some movie facts that I'd like to share. Movie facts? Hell yeah! I love that you did that. <laughs> this blows my mind. The film was only shot in three weeks. Wow, that is crazy to me. Super fast for the amount of like stuff that happens in the movie. A lot of stuff happens in this movie. It doesn't have a super long runtime. Um, actually, what is the runtime? It is an hour and forty two. Yeah, hour forty three. Um, forty three. Yeah, still under two hours, which is not bad. I mean, it's actually a good amount runtime. Actually, now I think about it, but being able to record all of that in three weeks. Yeah, that blows my mind because there's a lot of different scenes, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot of settings. It's really just two houses in the further. Oh, but, and you've also got um, the school sequence when he's at oh, yeah, the, the school, the hospital, and then the I hospitals. Guess. So there, there are a couple different locations, but 
yeah for yeah, the for the yeah, most yeah. part you've got the interiors which could have been i mean yeah i wonder how much were sets and how much were the actual interiors right um but yeah that's that's a lot of work in three weeks yeah, it's a lot, and, um, and it's not like a big cast, but it's it's also not a small cast. Definitely not, and I feel like everyone holds their weight too. I, I love this cast. I think this was like they perfectly played off each other. Um, the film was originally going to be named "The Further." Oh, mm. interesting. I I, I definitely I, think "Insidious" is better because it underlies the themes a little bit more with you know right. the demon and and how insidious the further can be. Right, I, I feel like the further is not the main thing in this movie, but the, yeah, like you said, the main theme of this movie is insidious. There's yeah. a lot of insidious things happening. Uh, speaking of the score, 33 violins were used to make the theme music. Oh, that's cool. Damn, I love stuff like that. Um, I always love this kind of stuff because they always start doing this now too, especially for in the spooky season. In 2015, there was an insidious-themed maze at Universal Studios Orlando. I would have loved to do that. Dude, I wonder what they had in there. I wonder if it, was, sure it was like the further, the further, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. like all of the ghouls and ghosts and stuff like that. Uh, like black walls with fog, and then the only things lit were the actors portraying like ghosts within the further or something. Oh, uh, yeah, no, definitely. And uh, here's another like callback Josh's mother in the film is named Lorraine. Coincidentally, Patrick Wilson would later go on to play Ed Warren. Husband of Lorraine Warren, um, which is also directed by James Wan. So we'll play back on that. Mm-mm, let's see if I can get a juicy one. Oh, this was the first film distributed by Film District. That's mm. interesting. Because now, yeah, I see that logo everywhere now. So they've made a lot more movies after this. Good for them. Uh, okay, yeah. The composer, uh, jo- uh, Joseph Bess- Bishara also acts in the movie, playing the demon who tries to take Dalton's soul. That's kind of oh, cool. That's neat. And I love that they have him as the lipstick face demon. <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Josh looks through several pictures of his younger self when he finds out that he can actually project. In one of them, he can be seen carrying a dog, which belongs to director James Wan. Gotta get your dog in the movie. You have to. Oh, that's funny. Uh, let's see if I can get another one. Okay, so they did have that call out. There is a post-credit scene showing the woman with the candle. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, here's something cool. about the mask. The bizarre mask that Elise wears in the scene where they attempt to contact Dalton's spirit form bears some re- resemblance to the Sandman's mask from the comic book series oh, The Sandman. that makes sense. Huh. Oh, okay. I can see it. All of which were produced or directed by Zack Snyder. Interesting. There's some good fun facts. But yeah, uh, any final thoughts on the movie? How'd you feel about it? Oh, man. Like we were saying at the top, like, I really enjoy this movie. I think breaking it down only made me like it more. Yeah. It's not without its faults, but right. it's it's such a solid film. Um, I think it deserves more than the 66%. Around tomatoes too. Yeah, but I'll put this in the eighties. The hard part for older movies like this. I mean, not saying that 2011 is super old, but there's people who have watched it now, you know, and they've probably reviewed it, 
And right. uh, up next to some of the other stuff we've gotten since this movie, I think, especially James Wan as a creator, has has topped himself over and over again. Um, so I can see that it's like recency bias. Um, right. Seeing it yeah. then from now, I would have loved to have seen what its original kind of Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes score was when it first came out. When it first came yeah, out, hell yeah! It definitely, uh, it definitely deserves a higher rating. It's very good. Absolutely solid. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this movie. I, I rewatched this movie with some friends who I haven't seen in a, wa- a long time too. So it was a fun watch experience, seeing other people react, and it, it got to the point where my friend, when she was screaming at the scene, <laughs> she scared me more than the scene itself. And I was just like, "Oh god damn it! You're a good person to watch scary movies with because you like make the experience that much better." But at That's the same awesome. time, damn. Yeah, it's so funny. All you can hear is her say, "Like I'm so scared, I'm so fucking scared." It's like you don't have to announce it. I could tell. <laughs> I mean, that helps. That helps a lot, right? I oh, mean, yeah. isn't Prince? I think talked about uh, in during the Conjuring episode how mm-hmm. having his wife at that um, that show um, was, you know, what made it for him. Seeing her reactions to the movie, right? And I think that goes for all of us, you know. I think I would have loved to, uh, I'm not loved because I don't think I saw this in theaters. I would have loved to see this in theaters with a big crowd opening night. Oh, yeah. And just being there with people. But Absolutely. I think we can all say we, we, we really care about this movie. And uh, next week, we do have another great film that I haven't seen since it came out. So it's going to be like a first time watch for me because I don't remember it too much. But 1408. And you're actually going to be on that episode too. So I'm really I, excited um, to go through that with you too. Uh, it should be a fun one. I, like yeah. I said, I don't remember anything about it. So <laughs> John Cusack, Samuel John L. Cusack. Jackson, and one of oh, the yeah. scariest rooms ever made. I'm ready. Oh man! But yes, thank you so much for being on this episode and about to be on the next episode. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, do you want to say where we can find you, where people can find you from the show? Yeah, sure. You can uh, check out content, uh, simplysassyvids.com, or go onto YouTube and search Simply Sassy Vids. Uh, we are a small YouTube channel that loves interviewing people that are out of our league, such as Freddie here. Um, <laughs> and we love talking to them about all the cool stuff that they're doing uh, or have done and how they got to where they're going um, to do the things that they love to do. And uh, you can find me at Phil J. Woodward on Twitter um, and pretty much every platform at Philip J. Woodward or Phil J. Woodward with two L's. Definitely check all of that out. It's I highly recommend it. It's a really good show and hopefully my show will be good when I'm out there too for out of your league. <laughs> I was so nervous, but even though oh, I'm you were, still nervous. You were amazing. You're, but yeah, you're, you're amazing. You're an amazing uh, guest and I hope everyone loved listening to this. Uh, thank but, you for having me. Anytime. I mean, literally, we're about to have you again. So, <laughs> we round three. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me, we have Philip J. Woodward. We might as well give you a night name at this point, too. Uh, so, I was thinking about this. <laughs> so, my, my last name means Protector of the Wood. Oh, uh, so I was thinking Forest Knight. Okay. I love that. You are now known as Forest Knight. 
Uh, but yeah, with your help, we can reach out to more Ghoulish Nights with your recommendation to someone who would enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, please consider giving us five-star rating as it does help us a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com forward slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. <laughs>